0: team. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere.
1: Hey everyone, Tim McMaster here along with our MLB.com Mets reporter Anthony DeComo. And Anthony, we got an in-game podcast today as we record this. The Mets taking on the Cardinals at City Field, down early on, but hopefully that changes as uh, <laughs> as the podcast goes on. But um obviously it's it's time for teams to act as far as the trade deadline goes. Um, we're getting closer and closer to Monday's deadline, and the Mets expected to be fairly quiet, but I think there's still a move in them. What type of move do you expect now where we're about six days
2: out from the deadline? Yeah, it, it is pretty quiet, and it's it's going to stay relatively quiet. I think those Mets fans, and, and Sandy Ellison pretty much said it straight out the other day, I think those Mets fans looking for a big, Sexy, splashy move like they did last year with Jonas S. But it's um, it's just not gonna happen this year. Uh, it's not on the team's radar. Um, and I, you know, I had some fans on Twitter saying, "Oh, that's posturing." You know, they've got something in their holster. It, it's really not. Uh, Sandy Ellison doesn't tend to lie about these sorts of things. When he says there's no big move coming because they don't want to trade their their top prospects, it's because there's no big move coming and they don't want to trade their top prospects. So that's the truth. Uh, But there are going to be moves made. I think the Mets will certainly make at least one, uh, maybe even a couple of moves before the deadline. And it's going to revolve around the bullpen. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with the group the Mets have right now. I think certainly at the back end in particular, uh, Familia, Reed, Robles, those guys have pitched really well. But the Mets want depth. They want guys who can come in and spell those guys, keep them from being overworked, uh, pitch the sixth inning if needed, and so on and so forth. So, Uh, There's a lot of potential right-handed arms out there that can do that and and that can potentially be had for pretty cheap. And I think you're going to see the Mets uh, closing in on one of them in the next couple of days there. You mentioned Familia and getting to him, and he's on a historic run right now. Fourth pitcher,
1: fourth closer ever, um, I think with at least 50 consecutive uh, saves without a blown save. I think I got that stat right. But, But he has been tremendous, and and I thought maybe there'd be a little letdown or at some point this season because of all the innings he worked a year ago running through the postseason. But
2: but he has been tremendous night
1: after night for this Mets team.
2: Yeah, I I think that's actually a really good point, Tim. I think there was a real concern with the Mets coming to spring training that all those innings, there was over 90 last year, I believe. All those appearances, all those innings were going to weigh on him this year, especially as we got – to this point in the summer, uh, mid-summer into the late late part of the season, uh, when it really would start to add up. Well, it hasn't. Um, not, not that he hasn't had a struggle here and there. He went through a period earlier this year, um, went in a couple of non-save situations. He got roughed up a little bit. But by and large, he's been pretty automatic. And I, I know I said the same thing on the podcast last week, but it holds true. I, I think Familia is really underappreciated what he means to this team. Uh, how important he is to this team, and just how good he is. This guy is among the best in the league, if not the best in the league. Uh, Mets fans, I think, are, you know, if they haven't realized it already, they're starting to come around. Uh, he's an ultra-important part of what the Mets are trying to do, capable of going more than more than three outs when needed, um, capable of essentially doing whatever, Terry Collins asked him to do. And while that has resulted in a very high workload, it has also resulted in a lot of success for both Familia and the Mets. So I think you're going to see a lot more of the same coming down the stretch.
1: Anthony, there's been plenty
2: of concern
1: around Stephen Matz, obviously with, with the the bone spur, but also just his struggles that had been since May, since he had gotten in the wind column. Uh, but Sunday came through with a big effort, six scoreless innings. He allowed just four hits. He strikes out six. Um, when you look at Matt and what he did on Sunday, is there can there be something said about getting comfortable pitching with a bone spur? I mean, is there something maybe mentally where he's like, at this point, okay, you know what, this is something I'm just dealing with,
2: and maybe he struggled to get to that point, but now he's getting there? Well, certainly it's possible. I'm sure there's a degree of that. Uh, it does take a little bit of a uh, mental fortitude to say, okay, I know there's something wrong in my elbow, but I'm going to pitch through it and I'm not going to feel any pain. Uh, but I think more than that, it's just a matter of, th- this is there. It's in his elbow, and when he feels pain, it's because there's inflammation around it. That's how these things work. All the mus- all the tissues around it, the muscles, the ligaments, it gets inflamed because of this foreign body, this bone in the elbow. Well, some days it hurts more than others, and that's just the simple truth. And uh, I think Certainly for a guy like Stephen Matt it's going to be easier to pitch when you have those days when it's not hurting as much. So I think it's gonna be a little bit of a roller coaster ride for him, uh, maybe even for Noah Syndergaard to a lesser extent because his bone spar isn't nearly as big. Um but I, I do think there's going to be good days for him, there's going to be bad days for him, and expecting Stephen Matt to go out and be what he was last weekend every five days is probably a little unrealistic at this point. But expecting him to go out there and pitch and be good and do positive things for the Mets overall. Yeah, I think uh, certainly he's proven he can pitch through this, and having the knowledge that he has done in the past and can do it again in the future can go a long way toward helping him. Michael, Conforto continues to,
1: to be the guy that gets moved around in this outfield, uh, with is unable to play center field. Conforto now getting a chance at center field. And, man, they they say the ball always finds you, right, Anthony? His first inning and his first start in center field, and they hit one into the gap. And what does Conforto do? He makes one of the best catches I've seen all season. Uh, we stack-casted it here at MLB.com. It was a full outstretched diving grab right out of the chute. Now, that's something I haven't really seen from Conforto in left field, where you'd think he would be a little more comfortable. But, what is it about him that allows him to move around in the outfield? Because I know the lines are different, and there there is a difference
2: between playing center field and left field. Yeah, there's absolutely a difference. And I think, uh, you know, athletically, uh, I think left field and right field, the corners can be looked down upon sometimes because you don't have to cover uh, as much ground. But the skill set is more or less the same. Uh, you need to have range. You need to have a nice arm. Uh, Conforto doesn't have a lot of the former, certainly has a, a nice arm with good arm strength. Um, but, yeah, I, I think for for switching from a corner spot to center field, it's more just about experience, getting out there. And the way the ball comes up, up off the bat can be very different in center field. It can do some funky things. It can slice in either direction, which you're not as used to uh, playing a corner. So, uh, you know, I, to, to sit here and say Michael Conforto is A-OK because uh, of that one catch, which, granted, was an amazing, uh, amazing catch. Uh, I think it's a little soon for that. I I think he's probably going to have his struggles at some point. And that's what's going to be the real test is uh, when he does goof on a ball, when he messes up, when he commits an error or two, uh, how does he recover from it? How does he learn from it? It, it, Will it be just a symptom or will it be something that he's going to struggle to get over? Because this is really a position he's never played before. Uh, I think all of that remains to be seen. Uh, I think as long as he's hitting. And as long as Yohan Cespedes is incapable or unwilling to play center field, it's essentially what they're going to have to do to put their best lineup out there every day. Um, The Mets are simply hoping at this point that the offense is going to outweigh what admittedly will probably be a net negative overall on defense when you talk about putting a guy like Conforto in a position he's never played before.
1: Yeah, and you certainly wonder that ball he makes the great diving catch on. Another center fielder with a little more range maybe doesn't have to go with the full-out dive to make that play. Uh, It was a big weekend for for the Mets as an organization, Anthony, and and Mets fans, obviously, with Mike Piazza heading into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, uh, a great speech from Piazza. He was extremely emotional, and he talked a lot about his time in New York, being a Met. He talked a lot about Mets fans and and what they mean to him and just the experience of of New York as a whole. Did you take anything specifically from Piazza's speech and – and how important it seemed to him to be heading to Cooperstown?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think all of the above, everything you just mentioned. Um, you know, the one thing that really stood out from his speech was when he got into the part about 9-11 and hitting that iconic home run that he did 10 days later, the first professional sports game in New York City uh, at that time after the attacks. And, you know, I, I've heard Piazza talk about it on many occasions in the past, but, just to see him deliver that speech and talk about it and how emotional he was and and so on and so forth. Um, You know, the thing that I'll say is is I I feel like in a lot of cases when we watch sports as fans, as as people who just like the game, I think there can be a dichotomy sometimes about how much fans care about certain things versus how much players care about certain things. They're different people. Uh, But in this case, I mean, the genuine raw emotion, it meant so much to Mets fans. It meant so much to the people of new york city and you can just tell how genuine mike piazza was that it meant so much to him personally to hit that home run and to deliver this great moment to people who are still very much grieving at that time so it was a huge moment uh he counted as the number one moment of his career and certainly i don't blame him for that and to hear him talk about it up there in cooperstown obviously getting a little emotional himself throughout points of the speech that one included it was it was really cool to see, and uh, for those who remember that home run and that, that whole period of time in New York City, I mean, it was it really harkens back to uh, what was just an incredible range of emotions for a lot of people around here. Yeah, it was an incredible weekend in Cooperstown, Piazza, and obviously Ken Griffey
1: Jr., two really all-time, all-time greats as far as the Hall of Fame goes, and for them to go in together and nobody else to go in with them was certainly special. All right, this has been MLB.com Extras.